podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentaries. Our shows include Double Century on the history of the game. West Indies on 99.94 is cricket's best Caribbean coverage. India on 99.94 has considered analysis from two professionals. England on 99.94 has the north and south of the game covered. South Africa on 99.94 is a forensic look at cricket in the Rainbow Nation. And Sri Lanka on 99.94 is our newest member. Find them all where you listen to podcasts or YouTube or just download our app. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca is on Scotland's exit from the World Cup, but also looking at the racism scandal that rocked them earlier this year. For that, we have someone who once played for the team and was involved in the allegations coming to light. My name is Gassim Sheikh. Um, I'm an ex-Scottish cricketer. I'm also a podcaster like yourself with Shaky Sports Journeys, as well as a business development manager for Volunteering Matters UK. We talk West Indies win, early exit, team expectations, Hamza Tahir, the racism report, and what the future of Scottish cricket should be. Let's start with, how did you rate Scotland's World Cup? Because we'll get to the fact that people are angry in a moment back in Scotland. I actually thought, all things considered, they weren't that far away. It's just that they didn't put the one good performance in in the last two games. They sort of did half and half games. I thought they were okay, but how did you rate them? Look, I totally agree. That was not an easy group. If you compare it to the last T20 World Cup when they had to qualify in a similar setup. Um, you know, there was teams like um, PNG and Oman that they had to defeat. They did beat Bangladesh, which was a fantastic victory for Scottish cricket. But going into this one, you know, you know you're coming up against three tough teams. Um, although the West Indies um, have not proven uh, in this World Cup to be uh, the best West Indies side, um, you know, I'm, you're still expecting it's still a big game. You know, two-time world champions, um, first fixture. Um, I absolutely echo what you're saying. I mean, we were ecstatic um, as Scottish cricket fans to to win that fixture. And yeah, as you said, the Ireland game, I would say 75% of the game went completely in Scotland's mm. favour. If you look at it, even the first 10 overs of the bowling performance, when uh, Ireland were batting second innings, Scotland, you'd, you'd think the game was the game was in their hands. Um, and then, you know, George Dockrow and... Uh, and 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 his partner, um, whose name has just uh, slipped, slipped my mind. That's it. That's it. Um, he was outstanding. He, but what a knock he played. Um, and yeah, we call it the luck of the Irish, um, and they broke all our Scottish hearts. Um, and then yeah, last game. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we really put much together in the last game um, that we would like to have done. Uh, but yeah, look, by far. You, you, you know, you can't be slating, you know, some of the performances during that tournament. Scotland played some great cricket. I think just some 
perhaps selection and tactical um, awareness, I think would have got them over the line and into the Super 12s. Yeah, I mean, the Ireland game, I think they probably fell apart in the second half of that bowling performance a little bit when, when Camper and Dockerell started hitting them. But having said that, nine times out of ten, you're probably still going to win that game from that position. They were so far ahead. Zimbabwe game, a little bit different. They obviously didn't make enough runs to put pressure on Zimbabwe, but then took the two early wickets. And so you thought they had a chance, and, and even the third wicket was still fairly early on. They certainly had a chance to be able to do that. Sekunda Raza is obviously a great player. So between those two performances, I didn't think they were terrible. For Scottish cricket, obviously now there's been some really good wins. We talked about the Bangladesh one in the last World Cup, and you've got you know the wins over England and a few of the other games that they've won here and there. Where does the West Indies one sort of come in, um, do you think, into Scottish history? It's got to be quite high up there as one of the better wins that Scottish cricket's had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. It was a huge victory for Scotland. Um, you're going into that game. Look, I had confidence. I know a lot of people had confidence that they could do it. Uh, but for the casual cricket fan who's just watching on, looking at that fixture on paper, they're thinking West Indies will blow Scotland out of the water. For the hardcore people who follow Scottish cricket, we know what they're capable of. It wasn't a complete shock to me that they beat the West Indies, but you're absolutely right. It's it's right up there. It's just unfortunate that uh, it didn't lead to what I think really should have been qualification. Um, I think there's some, some that feel it's harsh to question the fact that they didn't get through to the Super 12s. I don't think it is. I think you have to back the talent that's that's there. Um, and that ta- the talent in that squad, I think, was enough to get them over the over the line. But I mean, we can talk about um, the other fixtures more if you like. But that West Indies win, absolutely, um, a great day for Scottish cricket. I mean, it had everybody talking about it, and that's what you want. You want to see Scottish cricket getting talked about in Scotland. You still get people that ask, "Does Scotland even play cricket?" And that question, as a person that plays cricket, is quite frustrating. Um, you know, everyone knows we play football, although we don't do that very well either. Um, and, and and rugby, they're the two sports people commonly know Scotland play. But we have a, a good cricket team as well. Um, and I would certainly like to see it more in the headlines and getting talked about a lot more so people all around the world know more about Scottish cricket. But I think in general, in the world of, of, of cricket, people are talking more about a Scotland side now than they were prior to these last two T20 World Cups. Yeah, and I suppose that's one of the reasons that Scottish fans are so annoyed is that they made the second round last time. They've beaten the West Indies in this one and they haven't done it. It's also, at a certain point, it's a good feeling to have because you want, if you lose, you actually want your fans to be upset. You don't want your fans to go, well, at least you went over and you gave it a go, right? Like there's, it, I reckon five years ago, that wouldn't have been, if they'd beaten the West Indies and they'd gone out in the first round, everyone would be like, well, that's his success. The fact that Scottish cricket has managed to move forward, and, and there are challenges with, with Scottish cricket. A lot of their batting, you know, was on that incredible top four that sort of rose up all as one. And obviously Kyle has uh, has left the game and George has struggled with recent times. Callum hasn't been in the best form as well. So in coming into this tournament, Richie's the only one. It you, you know, that's the sort of thing that people like you and I look at. But if you're a more casual fan of Scottish cricket and you love the team and you followed it, you would go, well, we made the last uh, second round. We've beaten the West Indies. Why are we coming home? Absolutely. Honestly, if I'm just going to be blunt about it, it's a soft mentality that we have. I think that we need to keep talking about the fact that, oh, we don't get the same opportunities. And, we, you know, that that's kind of like a defeated, defeated, defeatist attitude before you go in. 
we've always done it tough in Scotland. It's never been easy in Scotland, but Ireland have had it the same. But they've earned their stripes and they've won on the big stage when they had a lot against them. And look what it's led opportunities-wise for Irish cricket. And now you look at Scottish cricket and we have kind of stayed behind Irish cricket if you look like, if you look at it and you're honest about it. Mm. Whereas coming up and playing against Ireland and, and being side-by-side side with them all the way through, I don't think they had any better talent than we did. And this squad in particular, I think we had a better all-round squad than they did. But they have a knack of, you know, finding that courage uh, on the big stage and, and, and delivering through. Um, whereas, you know, we've got this mindset now of like a debate that, you know, you can't say anything. You can't comment anything about selection. You can't comment anything about tactics. You you just have to say, well done, on to the next one. And you're not, I, I, and, and you know, because we don't get the same opportunities as everybody else. The only way you're going to force down that door and get the opportunities is the same way the likes of Ireland and Afghanistan have done it. You know, I played back in 2010. Afghanistan were just coming up. I had an ex-teammate once, a night before playing against Afghanistan, who said, who the hell are Afghanistan? Why are we talking about them so much in the team meeting? And I always laugh about that comment because I now think, well, we all know who Afghanistan are now, don't we? Um, so, but again, they paved the way. I mean, even they're now asking for more opportunities. I get it. It's hard for the associate countries, but you have to take these opportunities. They don't come around very often. So to just have an attitude of, you know, we didn't get enough cricket. We, didn't, we were right there to qualify. We weren't, like you said at the start of this podcast, we were fraction away from mm. getting the job done there. I mean, it was not much in it. Um, we went into that last fixture, top of the group. Our net run rate was at the top. You know, we, we, we were in a really, really strong position. Mm. So I think we need to start accepting and talking about it more and having conversations. And, and it doesn't mean that you want to slake Scottish cricket. That's not what it means, but it means that, you know, we care. People are passionate about it. We're not always going to agree, and sometimes you have to agree to disagree. And I'm sure you've had plenty of people you've spoken to in your life, Jared, that you feel that way with. Pretty much all my family. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I think it's really interesting because I think it is worth saying that Scotland had a good tournament and didn't make it, but also worth saying that even coming in, I, I, I'm with you. I thought they had a slightly better team than Ireland coming in, especially in T20 cricket, right? I don't think Ireland hasn't been particularly good T20 team for a while. I had Andy Balburnie on the podcast and he's admitted that a couple of times. And Scotland has put all their eggs into the T20 basket, which makes sense. It's, it's you know, wh where they're going. And so it is frustrating. You talked before about the tactics. So let's start with tactics and then we'll get to selection in a moment because I know you've got some comments on that. But tactically, where did you think Scotland went wrong at times in this tournament? The game against Ireland, the batting was where you want to be. Um, there was a real um, intent shown with the batting. To put 170 on the board... Uh, what an innings as well um, by Michael Jones. I'm very excited about him. Um, he's a massive plus point that's come out of this. So, you know, there's, there, are, there are plenty of positives to come. I would have liked to have seen him playing the Super 12s on the big stage. Um, I think he could have been a, a star at this World Cup. But he showed what can be achieved. But then in the Zimbabwe game, you're looking at that and you're thinking, it's now or never. Yeah. It's T20. We're six, seven overs in. We haven't had a good power play. We can have a little bit of a rebuild period, but you've got eight wickets in hand or, you know, still still got plenty of wickets in hand. The two batsmen at the crease, McLeod and Munsey, decided to just pat the ball around for 
Way too many overs. And, and in the end, guys like Michael Leesk came to the crease with li very little time to do anything. You know, I, I think there should have been a stronger message. Maybe a pair of gloves sent out and something said that, look, it's we need to go now. Um, because if Scotland get 150 in that game, 145 to 150, it's a different mm -hmm. game. I always felt 133 was going to take something really special to defend. Um, you mentioned we got the two early wickets, which was great. But they're classy players. Irvine showed class. Yeah. He stayed at the wicket. And then we all knew Secunder. But Secunder, he, he, he can give a wicket. And if we had got 150, that yeah. might have been that might have been enough. Um, I just think at the end of that, you know, during watching the innings, I felt that there was there was scope there to go a bit harder. Um, no, I'm not saying Zimbabwe didn't bowl well. I'm not saying it's easier. It's not. It's easier to speak from the couch. I, I understand all these things, but just the intent. I don't know if you've seen the game, if you're watching the game, it just seemed like patting the ball around for singles with no real intent. Um, and I think that was tactically, um, we didn't get that right at all. Uh, because, I, like I said, 15 more runs could have been the difference. Well, I think you and I have seen Munns bat a lot, you know, uh, and when he does get frustrated, sometimes I feel like there's, it's just going to continue to go on. He doesn't have the ability sometimes to just break free of that. And it, perhaps it's because he's a hitter. Um, you know, he's such a brilliant hitter of the ball. And if he's not able to do that, he doesn't have maybe some of the uh, the other batting skills that, that you might need. Um, and, and Callum is a brilliant batter who I think plays T20 cricket because, um, it, it, you know, it, it exists. I'm not sure in a perfect world if Callum would play it. And, but, Having said all that, I think we've now seen enough on that pitch to know that that happened to a few teams. We saw Munns do it in both the games, even the West Indies game. That was a frustrating innings to watch from him. It just happened to be that the rest of the team rose up around him and he ended up anchoring that, whereas in the Zimbabwe one, as you said, it didn't really happen. But I, I thought that was really interesting. You wanted to talk about selection as well. Um, and I've missed this on, on Twitter. I sort of saw the odd tweet, but I never saw the specific reason why everyone was angry on Sc Scottish cricket Twitter. Usually, as long as they're not angry at me, I usually am I'm more than happy uh, to, to, to step out of this. But I did see a couple of tweets. The, the, the reason that a lot of people are uh, not happy back home is because Hamza here wasn't picked for any of the games. Uh, he's a left arm finger spinner. I said before the tournament, and I've been saying this since I worked with Scottish cricket, the, the biggest problem that they have is that they have two left-arm finger spinners and they don't match particularly well. Having said that, Mark Watt is not really a left-arm finger spinner. He's almost a genre to himself. He's more, he's more like Tikshan or, or Mujib than he is a traditional left-arm finger spinner. But it feels like in, in the Scottish mindset is we can't pick both of them together. At, when they bowled together in the 2019 qualifiers or whenever that was uh, for, for the original World Cup that they were qualifying for, obviously that was in UAE, different conditions and everything else. He bowled very well. You mentioned just before we came on air that he bowled very well in his one-off game against Pakistan. I mean, Hamza is a beautiful left-arm finger spinner and he's almost a different breed than Mark Watt. They're, they're not even similar in any way, are they? Do you once remember um, Great Australian side playing Shane Warren and Stuart McGill in the same team? You know <laughs> that you know that that seemed to work all right. Two fantastic leg spinners. That was a bit before we did matchups, though. To be fair, but you're right. <laughs> fair enough, but you know, just just from the, I mean, I always feel sorry for Stuart McGill because he came through in an era mm -hmm. where Shane Warren was playing, but they were that good that eventually they said, "Let's get both of them in the team." Well, that's exactly what the situation is here. You can look at this all the way you want to look at it. You can. 
you can think, oh, you know, they're, they're the same. You've highlighted very well there. They're actually not the same. Yeah. Mark Watt is totally different from Hamza. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a point that has been frustrating because, yes, a couple of us have raised it after the World Cup. Actually, I want to just put this on record. I put a team out the night before the Zimbabwe game and I had made a few changes. And the changes I had made was I wanted to bring the youngster in, Brandon McMullen. You will not know much about this this young kid. He's he's been uh, he's recently qualified to play for Scotland. He's been in Scotland for many years. I would classify him as a batting all rounder. Very very good player. Offers something with the medium pace as well. Mark Watt actually mentioned on a podcast we did just before the World Cup started that he can offer a bit at the top if you need him to bowl, the middle or the desk. So that's the, the, the way they were thinking about him. I would have swapped him for Callum McLeod. Callum McLeod has not made over 30 um, and, and as long as T20, for quite a while in T20 cricket. The last World Cup, he really, really struggled. You mentioned it in an ideal world. Callum McLeod, I don't think, is made for T20. He's a brilliant ODI player. Um, I would have made that change. And I, and then it was the, who do you bring in Hamza for? Now, I actually I actually said maybe bring him in for Josh Davey and have McMullen as the third seamer because I think Josh Davey has struggled and you know he hasn't hasn't been at his best in the first few games. Although he did bowl then quite well against Zimbabwe, and he's done well for Scotland in the past. I do think he's maybe coming a bit more to the end. But the other names that you could have discussed were Leask or Greaves. Now I wouldn't have went to swap him with Leask because I think Leask needs to be in that team at the moment yeah. because you don't have anybody else who can clear the boundary ropes um, late in the order. Um, unfortunately, he didn't get enough time at the crease, but he he, he can, he's capable to hit a clean ball. Greaves. It's playing, and that's what confuses me. I probably should have went Greaves, Hamza to swap Greaves, looking back in hindsight. Greaves bowled two overs in the whole World Cup. Hamza, you would have liked to think if he played in most of the games, would have bowled near enough eight to 12 overs. You would have bowled his, his full amount. Greaves also, if you look at the amount of the scores he made, I think the last game was three off seven balls. Um, and, and He didn't really set the world alight in, in, in any of the games. So, you know, I just feel like Hamza would have made a massive difference in the Ireland game to defend 170. I think his bowling, his four overs is going to be crucial. Mm. And I also think it could have helped in the Zimbabwe game. And I think McMullen could have brought something different. It might not have worked, but it was a chance to be brave on the big stage. And this is something Scotland always seemed to do. They, they seem to go for the safe option and nobody's allowed to say anything. You've taken people to the World Cup for a reason. To, and, and it's an opportunity to give them a chance. Um, and I feel like that was missed in selection. But Hamza and the Watt argument, I think it's nonsense. They're the two best spinners in the country. Mm. Play the two best spinners in the country. And you can also split these two. Hamza opened the bowling against Pakistan in that last T20 World Cup. Mark Watt could bowl in the middle overs. Or you could change it around. Mark could bowl at the top of the order. Hamza could bowl in the middle. There's, there's, they give your team options. They, they give you, And they're your best spinners. So... I think it's a, I, I think it's a weak argument for anyone that suggests that oh they bowl the same, they don't bowl the same. They're two two different bowlers. They just happen to. There was three right arm seamers bowling. Does that okay. mean that we can't have a? You know what kind of nonsense is that? It doesn't doesn't make any sense. I think if they were similar left arm finger spinners and they both needed to bowl in the middle, you could say, well, wait a minute, every team's just going to play left handers against this, and we're going to get and we're going to get hammered a couple of times. But what is brilliant against left left-handers so he doesn't have that problem and they both have that flexibility as you said you can actually stretch them out far more than normal spinners so uh, i i 
I think it's really interesting. Where it gets more interesting, of course, is that Scottish cricket have just gone through this huge uh, moment of racism within the sport. Um, you had the um, the commission uh, come out, uh, sorry, the report come out. The Land Scottish boards, um, what was that, four Land months ago, board. three months ago? Um, yeah. when, when that has all come out saying that there is r- racism within Scottish sport, uh, sorry, Scottish cricket, um, and that there is a big issue here. And then you have someone who is obviously takeaway selection because you, you, me, we could get five people who know a lot about Scottish cricket in the room. We'd all disagree slightly on the selection, right? But on a very basic point, you do have a young Asian player who's clearly in the most 11 talented players in Scotland at the moment, um, not in the side for the, for that tournament. And it doesn't look particularly well. And so there are almost two different kinds of questions. One is on tactics, which we've gone through, and we've both put our reasons why we think they can work together and also why they haven't been picked together probably. And then the other side of it is you've just gone through this report, your entire board has stepped down because of racism in Scottish cricket, and then you don't pick Hamza. It doesn't look particularly good, even if it was the right decision. Thank you for taking out the elephant in the room. (laughs) Yes, it doesn't look particularly good. And, and the biggest point is, if it was a tokenistic selection, and let's say he wasn't good enough to be playing, I, I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be, not me and my, myself and some others wouldn't be, you know, shouting at the top of the hills that why is this, why is he not playing? We're talking about one of the be- one of the top eleven cricketers in Scotland, and definitely one of two best spinners in Scotland, yeah, um, and has proven that. Um, so to not play him. In three games, when you've just been found to be institutionally racist, I don't think it's a particularly good look. And then how dare, as people of colour at the back end of it, just put out an opinion to say, have we got that right? Why didn't we play Hamza? And my goodness, ex-players, you know, other people in Scottish cricket, it was an uproar moment. It's clearly been bubbling. It's clearly they've wanted to come out and say. Um, and it's just, you know, jibes, you know, uh, we're... We, Comments like we're fame hungry. Uh, comments like um, words like cabbages thrown around. They're cabbages, um, you know, or kicking a team while it's down. No, we were just giving what any, I think, sensible person would think at that moment, looking from the outside in, why didn't you play? Why didn't you play him? I think it was a fair question to ask. But, how, but the fact that people of colour raised it, it caused an uproar. Funnily enough, the following day, a local podcast in Scottish cricket, shout out to them, halfway up middle they're called, some uh, one ex-teammate of mine, Matthew Parker, and, and, and a couple other lads as well that are involved with that. They come out and do a podcast, and they're even more bold. They, you know, they're, they're saying things like, you know, Hamza should have been in the team, you know, Greaves bowls two overs, um, they're scared to make changes in selection, the coach's job should be up for question. I've not seen one negative comment towards them. Nobody's, no uproar. And and now there's a narrative trying to be pushed as well that, well, we're, us people of colour are just trying to cause trouble. We're just trying to, you know, it's time to move on. We can only move on when you start to tackle the issues. You can't just launch this report and everyone just thinks, well, that's it now, stop it. We've got this report. Let's all move on and be hunky-dory. No, we want to see change. And what's just happened in this World Cup doesn't really strike me as change when one of our one of our lead, country's leading cricketers happens to be of South Asian heritage and doesn't get a game. Sorry, 
questions are going to be asked. 2015 World Cup, Majid Haq leaves and says something quite similar about selection and everything there. As you said, the report is, I mean, the report's really clear. The board accepted it, but the report is like the moment that you start the work. It's not really anything else, is it? it it's literally, this has happened. We've accepted it. I think for, for their part, compared to what, your, what happened with Yorkshire, I thought Scottish cricket accepted it a lot more than what, what was going on in Yorkshire and other parts of, of cricket when it's had similar problems. But that is just the first part of it. And if you can't have any conversations, right, if, you can't, if, if the conversation can't even be started now, that's a huge problem. And that shows that the issue is still right there, right? The issue is still right there. Um, and as much as you say that Scottish cricket have accepted it a, a lot better, I think the fact that Sports Scotland governed it, commissioned it, sorry, um, and you know a proper thorough investigation was carried out, um, there was no choice really to accept it, but there's a lot of denial bubbling under. The, I mean, some yep. of the comments I'm seeing, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Um, you know, people are trying to undermine this report. I'd like to think that's not going to, you know, it's not really going to have an effect. Personal attacks are now coming, so it's all about me now and attacking me and going for me personally. My message to people that are doing that. Go for me personally. After you know, go ahead. I'm not the reason cricket Scotland were found to be institutionally racist. Mm. And anyone that thinks that needs to scratch, you know, take a take a look at themselves. I'm one human being. Imagine Hack. If it was just him alone, one case. Do you think a full institution would have been found to be racist? No. We just happened to be the ones that were prepared to say there's a big issue here. You might want to have a look at this and do a report. And that's what's happened. But now it's Personal attacks, fake accounts getting made, dodgy DMs coming through. I've even had my family getting brought pulled into it now. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you look at Azim's situation down south. They're just trying to personally attack him now. It's not going to change that you know just because Azim Rafiq was brave enough to to do just to, to, to take a stance. Yes, he was found out for making errors in his past. He's he's owning them. He can he continues to own them. Nobody's saying anyone's perfect. But whatever happens with Azim Rafiq doesn't change that the institutions were found to be overall racist. And Cricket Scotland is a bit different to Yorkshire and to the ECB. Yorkshire, everything happened back to front at Yorkshire. If you think about it, there was a lot of cover-up jobs. They came out yeah. and said things like um, inappropriate language was used. Um, you know, There's never actually still been a proper thorough report done. I mean, we're, I'm, I'm hearing that the ECB, there is a report coming on, on, on down, down in ECB, but it's still not happened. That, that what's been done here and carried out here was a proper thorough report. They've put out the report. The public can see the report. Um, I just hope more people start to just understand that this is not about ruining Scottish cricket. It's about actually making it better in the long run so that we don't have these underlying issues. And, we, and, and, and I talk about equality in this as well. I mean, our women went to the recent qualifiers and they were the only team at the qualifiers who didn't have any contracts or, or support. I mean, we're a pretty decent-sized cricket-playing nation now. You, you've seen how close we were to being in the, the top 12. Um, you'd like to think that, you know, we would be getting some more support for our women's sport who are actually a really upcoming side. You know, two players already playing in the 100 down mm -hmm. south, more players getting 
there's more interest on the players to go down south. None of the men are playing in the 100 down south. You know, these women, the women cricketers have got a lot to offer, but they don't get equal treatment. Now, yes, granted, we can only work with the budgets that we have, but why can't we go out and be proactive and, uh, and, 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 and look to get more sponsorship or something to support our women's team? I mean, up until recently, from what I know, Scottish cricket had one sponsor. I'm not going to name it or talk about it, but the figure that I happen to know that they give is not very big. And they're on the national team, the women's team, on all the juniors teams. I can't get my head around it. Why, do they, why, why should that be the case? Why can't the different teams have a different sponsor that attracts more sponsorship to the game? Um, at the moment, I think we just rely on the ICC, which doesn't fund associate cricket anywhere near what the, the big boys get. Um, and the, the Sports Scotland, they give, a, they give an amount, but it's not going to it's not going to change the world. Um, you have to look outside and look at other other ways. And, you know, we've got lots of big big co- corporates in Scotland that, you know, go and pitch these opportunities to them to get more involved. And I would love to see that, you know, women's cricket starts to get more funding and contracts for these, for these girls as well. That's all this is. It's healthy conversation and trying to take things forward. But people, I think in particular in Scotland, to be honest, don't like it when somebody likes to have an opinion. Uh, and I will, and I have said this, that when it seems to be when a person of colour has a very strong opinion, that seems to upset people that little bit more. I know you had a podcast at the time and you obviously you were moving towards, you know, speaking more about Scottish cricket publicly. It's probably easy for you not to say anything. What drove you to say something about your treatment? That's a really good question. That was a really good question because I think there's a lot of people that have felt that because I was podcasting and because I was trying to be, you know, promote Scottish cricket and be uh, the passion for Scottish cricket has never gone. I was asked a question and I have lived experience. I never played for my country again after the age of 26 years old when I don't think I deserved that to be the case at 26. People will have their differing opinions, wasn't good enough or whatever said. I think I have got some decent numbers behind me at that point that proved there was some, definitely something to work with and move forward. And I got to see firsthand. I went to a T20 World Cup in South Africa. I played in the warm-up games. You know, I did well in the trials. When it came to the big stage, you're not playing. You know, I went to the World Cup qualifiers after coming back from playing first-class cricket in Pakistan, where I scored a debut 100. I think I'm the only British-Asian-born player to score a first-class 100 in Pakistan. Not a bad achievement from a lad from Glasgow in Scotland. Take that. Thank you, Jared. It's nice to be. It's nice to get. Nice to, nice to be. Because at the moment, you know, it's, I couldn't. I couldn't hold a bat. I think most people seem to think. But then, when you get out to South Africa and you've earned your stripes, you've waited your turn to get into that national team. I carried drinks from you know, practically the whole trip, and the batting was failing the full tournament. We never even qualified. We just held on to our ODI status. We never qualified for the World Cup. Um, I, we had ex team. I had ex teammates back home doing newspaper articles. Before the tournament even started, questioning my selection, it's, it's I've got lived experience, mate. Mm. I've got lived experience, and I don't want to see it happen to a, a, a little boy or a little girl who's going to be coming through in future years. I don't want you know. I'm not coming back. On, I, I'm not getting selected anytime soon, as you can see. Thirty-seven <laughs> going on thirty-eight. You know, time is up. Um, but yes, I'm not prepared. I, I, I wasn't prepared to just stay quiet when I probably believed that there was issues. Even I didn't realise how bad the issues were. And I, I, I'm more now just wanted to be part. I want to help change it, help be part of moving it forward. Um, I just think there's got, at the moment we're in a bit of that crossroad point where people that are still in denial 
are wanting to try and push back on it as much as possible. Um, I would like to think that they will they will fail on that, whether they get personal attacks at me or Majid or anybody else who's trying to drive the change. That's fine. Um, I'd like to think there's enough interest in this now, enough people involved to make sure that this can go forward in the right direction. And I hope it has an impact on Scottish sports in general um, because we aren't the only sport that's going to have these institutional issues. There will be other sports that have it as well. Just to finish up, obviously you come out public is now, it's almost worse now, as, as you said, with, you know, fake Twitter accounts and all that sort of nonsense. And also it's after the report when people start to get it, you know, when it first comes out, everyone uh, lets the news cycle win. And then later it's when all the trolls come out and all that sort of stuff. When the actual report came out though, and then the board stood down, what was your emotional reaction to that as someone had lived Scottish cricket? I was a bit upset when the, when the board just resigned. I went through some mixed emotions because I felt like I knew some of the board members and I built relations, tried to build some relations with them after we spoke out. There was, and I don't want to name people um, who, I was in, uh, who, who I was in talks with, but I was in talks with, with some of the people. And I felt at the time like it was a bit of a cop-out. Uh, you know, I would, I think there was an opportunity to maybe face, face it. And, uh, but at the same time, as easier said than done, this was a national, it turned into a national scandal. Mm. You know, even I didn't realise what I was walking into when I walked into that press conference. That was a really tough thing to experience. Um, and it's not for everybody. Um, so I think they've obviously collectively decided the best thing to do was just walk away and let a fresh bunch come in. And I think as time has gone on, I've probably learned to respect that decision a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, rather than what's happened in Yorkshire where people have tried to drag their heels and mm. dig in and make life difficult... They, they chose not to do that. They chose to walk away and to allow a fresh, fresh, fresh bunch of people to come in. Um, so I think it was it was a bittersweet moment, if you, if you could probably call it that. Um, and I think it's an opportunity. Uh, we've just seen there's some new members being announced um, in the past few days. Obviously, there's a new chair coming um, in Anja and Luthra. Um, actions speak louder than words is all I'm going to say on that. Um, you can bring in whoever you want, but if uh, and they can say do they can say a lot and they can come across as they they they're going to do a lot of things, but until the actions are actually in place, then we can start to hopefully celebrate. But I think people need to realise that you know it, we're not going to accept mediocre in this. There needs to be real change. So you, so I think people are getting frustrated with us. <clears throat> And I can understand both sides of both sides of this as well. I can understand that some people are feeling a bit bruised by some of what's come out, but you also have to appreciate that there's going to be questions still asked. There's going to be challenge still there. It's healthy. It's the only way you can really change. Is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time, um, and people will challenge. And some people, other people, are going to have to just learn to get their head around why they're trying to challenge it. And if they and if they can't ask questions. Come and have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Uh, but, but you know, back and forwards on Twitter and kind of what, what, what played out the other day, uh, you know, it's happened now. Uh, but I hope that's not what continues to happen. I certainly don't want that to be the case. I don't want to be having back and forth jibes at people on, on social media. It's, it doesn't really help anybody. Um, I really hope we can start to have the really important, sometimes tough conversations and start to move this forward in the right direction. 
If I was to say to you, what's your best case scenario for Scottish cricket in, say, five years' time, based on what we've just seen in the last two World Cups, what we've seen with the report, what we've seen with all the different changes, you know, the CEO coming and going quickly and all those sorts of things, what do you think the best case scenario is for Scotland in five years' time, on and off the field? Good question, Jared. I'll tell you what, mate, you're, 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 a, good, you're a good host. <laughs> I'm going to say that. I'm going to get that out there as well. I'm taking some tips from you in this, in this podcast as well. What I'd like to see is Scottish cricket be pushing to be a full member. That has got to be the ultimate goal. Obviously, that will attract more money, more opportunities. I'd like to see Scotland be more proactive and going out to build relations with boards, other boards from around the world, and looking to to get our teams out there and get them noticed more and playing more cricket. Again, easier said than done without the funding. I appreciate that. Um, but there is ways and means that you can try and drive those things. So that's 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 a big goal. Second goal would be that Scottish cricket is the most diverse, inclusive, and equal has the most equality than any other sport in Scottish sport and is leading the way towards championing that and other sports following. So sports looking all of a sudden at cricket as, whoa, that's a great template. I want our sport to be like that. How did they do that? Let's go and talk to, to Scottish cricket. Let's go and talk to Cricket Scotland. Let's learn from them. And then move that narrative a little bit that does Scotland even play cricket? No, Scotland are actually the most, they're a great organisation that do a lot of things well, and we should go and learn from them. Um, I'd like to see women's sport have uh, full-time contracts, especially the national team, and I'd like to see more funding in women's sport. Um, and I would like to see everybody, and I mean everybody, whether it be private school, white public school, South Asian backgrounds, BAME communities, everybody, no matter what your background, thriving equally to achieve ultimate success. I think if we get to that place, that will be a beautiful thing and it'll be worth all the all that we have, we've gone through in this past six, seven months and previous to that. And I hope one day, even some people who I, I know don't think very highly of me just now or think very highly of Magic just now for their own reasons, I hope one day we can have different conversations and we can kind of come together on things because nobody wants a divisive you know, them against us approach here. That is horrible. You know, we don't want quota systems or anything brought in here. I don't think that's the way forward. Um, it's about coming together um, and moving forward for the best of Scottish cricket. Perfect. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome, Jared. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa, and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. 
Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by The Red Crickets.